What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Just hopped off uh, the call with my guest today. Had a great conversation with Amiti Utawa. Um, Amiti is a contributor to Bitcoin Core. She's done stints at Chaincode Labs and Coinbase. And uh, I learned more about her recently via a profile uh, of her in Forbes and uh, thought it was a really interesting story. They delve into her background and, of course, how she came uh, to be involved and contribute to Bitcoin Core. Uh, And I just really wanted to have her on the show and dig a little deeper and hear more of her story and uh, learn more about the work that she's currently doing. So invited her on. She accepted. And we had a wonderful conversation. Enjoy. Amiti, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So um, I think, uh, you know, I've got a ton of questions for you. I've been really looking forward to this uh, discussion. Uh, but perhaps for both myself and for anyone listening that maybe isn't familiar with you, uh, how about you give us the, the rundown? I'm sure you've given it a couple of times before. Just a little bit about your background, what you do with Bitcoin and anything else you want to include. Um, sure. So I work full time uh, as a Bitcoin Core contributor and currently co-sponsored by BitMEX and OKCoin. So many thanks to them. Um, And essentially, I spend my days looking at the code in Bitcoin Core. I focus on the peer-to-peer network, which is about how nodes are sending messages and communicating with one another. Um, So I find it a really fascinating space. It's not consensus, which is, is this a valid transaction? Is this a valid block? but it is very intertwined because if you don't hear about a block, how can you validate it? Um, If you aren't able to send out your transactions, it doesn't matter that it's valid. And so I find it really fun, really nuanced. um, And that's mostly where I spend my my days, my brain space hanging out. So many questions, but how, how did you get started in this? Like, how did you wind up uh, contributing to Bitcoin Core? And by the way, I saw the article in Forbes a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, congratulations. Thanks. That was a, a great little piece. Thanks. I really liked how it uh, highlighted my family and their story because that's so important to me, but mm. um, is often n- not as relevant or not what you see uh, so I really liked that part about the piece a lot. Nice. Yeah. Was- so, so how'd you end up here? How, how did you wind up contributing to, to a Bitcoin core? Honestly, I hardly know, <laughs> but a few years ago, I, I like first learned about Bitcoin and one of the first things I, or I guess I learned about crypto or blockchain. And one of the first things I did was read the Bitcoin white paper. Um, I'm not sure how I lucked into that as my main resource. Um, But uh, I remember doing like reading the Bitcoin white paper and listening to a TED talk on like, what is a blockchain? (laughs) And so this is very early stages. And uh, there were a lot of different aspects that spiked my curiosity and intrigued me and compelled me to like, just learn more. But fundamentally, I think what's compelled me is the idea of this totally revolutionary new trust model. And historically, we've only ever had two trust models. One is direct, I get to know you, we build trust, you know, we can make promises, et cetera. Uh, And the second is hierarchical, which is what our society runs on. 
I use a bank and they extend that trust to other people and thus I can make credit card interactions. Or when I go online to buy something on Amazon, I look at reviews or I think that if it doesn't get, if it doesn't get shipped, I can hit cancel and Amazon will probably honor that. <laughs> but everything from schools, government, bank, money, our, our society, the way that we've been able to scale to such a big human population revolves around a hierarchical model of trust. And with Bitcoin, we're introducing a third possibility, which is the idea that I don't need to know you, I don't need to trust you, but we can come to an agreement of what happened. And so this is something I still uh, am deeply curious about. What are the possible implications of this? What are the problems? What are the solvable problems? What are the unsolvable problems? But I think that is really the kind of narrative of possibility that captured my attention and had me just like, okay, I'm going to learn more. Mm. Um, yeah. Why, why do you think it, you know, because the, the nature or the, yeah, the nature of Bitcoin uh, appeals to people in different ways, you know, predicated on their background and their interests and they see different things in it. They see different possibilities. They see different implications. They see the value of it in different ways. And the trust one is probably more rare to hear. Um, and I'm just wondering, what do you think in your background or your perspective, the way you see the world, the things you're interested in, did, did cause you to look at this thing and think, huh, that's a novel sort of approach to trust uh, and therefore deserving of, you know, greater inquiry in, or interest? Like what, what was about your background that made you kind of prime to see it that way? Mm. I do think that I'm very much a uh, fundamentals thinker and I like to inspect the world from the ground up, uh, which sometimes is a strength and sometimes can really hinder me because it takes me a long time to make decisions. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> um but even like reflecting on my own life and experience, I, my, my college days were a very introspective time and I pretty explicitly uh, broke down all of the things through my lifetime that I've been told or society values, et cetera, and started identifying like what is a fundamental truth I believe in. And I think I've built my view of the world and of myself and understanding through this um, or on top of this platform of what are the fundamental beliefs that I hold. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what landed with me in the communication of where I was, uh, how I was primed. I, I think that something I have been wondering about for a while is consumerism and capitalism combined to the point um, of our current modern day society and the idea of creation versus consumption and pondering alternatives. And so when I found out about Bitcoin, I was working at a company called Symbi, which is a platform for trading and bartering services. 
and it was very niche. It was like a seed stage startup, but it did have a community. And even if it wasn't big enough to hit VC numbers, it had maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of people who were very dedicated. And I met all of these people who so joyfully were able to share what they, whatever it was, whether it's like, I'll send you a piece of art or I'll teach you how to cook this thing or um, I'll give you a massage, like all sorts of different services. Um, they were so excited to share. And because that economy didn't actually take off and it you couldn't um, exchange that for food or rent for the most part, um, it was a very, the people who participated did it for fun. And, and yet we were also capturing that as a platform and seeing it as this micro economy that was occurring. And it really made me reflect upon and question what are the current uh, dominant models and what alternatives are. Mm -hmm. And so I think in many ways I was primed for when I learned about Bitcoin. Right. Boy, there's lots of stuff there. Um, this one might be a difficult one, but you said during university, you kind of refined your, you know, your core beliefs down to a fundamental, like, uh, foundation. Uh, could you articulate what any of those might be? They just kind yeah. of what you, uh, refined it down to totally. refined them down to. Um, so from a logical point of view, I don't think there's any intrinsic meaning of life. Uh, but I also don't think that is a reason for nihilism. So I guess the best word I found is I fall into the camp of absurdists where the point of life is not well-defined, but in my opinion, it's to create your own meaning because I think life without meaning is not worth living. So to each their own. And I think some people might create their meaning from getting paid more or getting more status. And I don't think those are as fulfilling. I think that's fair, but I don't think that's nearly as fulfilling as certain other um, meanings or truths that you could seek out, such as um, how do I serve the community around me? Um, or how do I, which I think is to me the same question as how do I serve myself? Um, so from a rational point of view, no intrinsic meaning, but if you, if you want to live, like if there's no intrinsic meaning, either you should just end your life, but if you don't want to take that route, which I'm not interested in and I would not advocate for, then you should create a meaning and create a purpose because that's fundamentally important to humans. And, and then from a, a fundamental belief that I just hold, it's that if I'm good to the world, the world is good to me. So some sort of kind of karmic idea, I guess. Um, and I think that if it's true for me, it's true for others. And that's just something that I can't explain in a super rational way, but I have experienced when I'm open and lean into my fear and willing to give, then the world works out better. And this is something that I do feel with Bitcoin. Like ever since I've learned about Bitcoin, I've gone through, you know, intense learning periods into like lulls and 
back and forth like you do with anything. Um, but it's been a great source of energy and I've just pursued that. And there's been a ton of unknown along the way. It's not the easiest thing to make a profession of <laughs> or the path of even how to get started. Very unclear, but I've had so much luck come my way. And I do think that's related to the fact that um, I've been very joyfully pursuing it and then circumstance like manifests. So pretty hippie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's not uncommon to hear that, you know, and I, like, I, I think you're right. Like a lot of people might classify a statement like the one you just made as kind of hippie, but it makes total sense. Cause you said uh, when you engage in these things from which you derive meaning or to which you ascribe meaning or both, um, it gives you energy. And that's the case with so many of the people that I speak to and myself doing whatever form of work that we do in this space is that it's one of it's it, you, you kind of live off it. You can feed off of it. And, and so many cases in life, especially with work, it, it feeds off of you. You're drained. You come home at night and you're tired and you don't have energy and you're not excited and you're not enthusiastic and you're not, you know, jazzed for the next day of work. And so many people are in that situation and to be able to engage in something in whatever your capacity might be and whatever method you might take that actually like when, while doing it and maybe even subsequent to doing it, you come out and you're like, Oh man, like I, that was great. Like I feel good. I'm energetic. I'm happy, happy. My mood's elevated. And I think there's no better like gauge of, of how you should be directing your energy and your attention than something that makes you feel that way. And of course, if you feel that way, you're going to do it better because you're going to be happy to practice it more. You're going to be, you're going to be thinking about it even when you're not doing it, that's going to translate to being more like better or more effective at it. So yes, it can seem a little woo woo to some people that maybe don't haven't experienced it, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I think a lot of people that, uh, do whatever in this space feel the same feel the same way um yeah I'm, i mean i'm glad to hear you relate to the experience because that's i think people can live their best lives if they're able to experience and tap into that because energy is not really it's not a zero-sum game a lot of times a very simple example is a workout um you it actually creates energy a lot of time uh, or I might be feeling like lethargic, but then I get myself up, I do something and then I have way more energy. Um, and so tapping into where it can be a value creation uh, experience is I think really important. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And that's a, that's a great analogy. And it's such a, it's such a peculiar phenomenon to find something um, that you see uh, so much meaning in and just by the act of engaging in it and contributing to it some way, you're, it fills you up. I mean, it, it's, it's just a weird thing. But mm. I, like I say, I mean, it might be one of these real uh, gauges that you should train yourself perhaps to um, be better at intuiting or interpreting because it's probably one of the key drivers of, of living a happy life by engaging in things that you know, you enjoy doing and that have some productive element too. So maybe we're on some. Totally agree. So you came out of university. You mentioned that um, the, the white paper was one of the first things that uh, you came across. Uh, and some people were asking like, you know, what's a blockchain and cryptocurrency? 
I believe you're in the Bay Area, right? Or in San Fran? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So actually not anymore. I just moved to Tahoe last week. But oh, I congrats. Have been. Congrats. <laughs> Thanks. Why did you move? Mountains. I love the mountains. Uh, and so too. I got tired of doing the weekend commute. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, but yeah, did you, did you, because the VC culture around blockchain, cryptocurrency and stuff, especially over the last, you know, three, four years, um, has probably uh, taken the initial interest that people may have found in something like Bitcoin and put them down a different road for a while. Was that the case for you or were you able to navigate away from such perhaps pitfalls? What was your experience? Yeah, so Simbi, um, as I mentioned, wasn't able to hit CC numbers. Uh, but that was kind of so like a token model thing? It wasn't so so but then that was at the time where the ICO boom and suddenly every company in SF I, I have a very distinct memory of being at a house party with friends and like a few months ago nobody knew what a blockchain was and then suddenly at this party like in this group of 10 like eight people were like yeah my company is a something blockchainy now I and I was just kind of like this is oh this is like what Silicon Valley could, you know, they could just pick this up and put it in that show. <laughs> right. This is um, what a bubble is like, right? This is what, when like the frenzy around a new thing happens. Yeah. And the suddenness of it. And, and at that time, Simbi was pivoting into trying to pursue an ICO. Um, so I stuck around for a little bit because it was like, oh, cool. I'm interested in this thing. I get to learn about it. Um, but once I realized that the proposed model did not require a blockchain, and um, brought that up, and that wasn't important. I decided to quit, <laughs> and I, uh, after that, took some time off and was kind of self-learning. And I was looking for how to get more involved. And I attended, like, you know, the. It's really cool to have Stanford and Berkeley here because both of them have. Uh, blockchain conferences that are very serious. They're like intense cryptography and different mm -hmm. uh, projects that are being academically pursued. And so I was attending things like that. And um, eventually I felt like I wanted to go to Coinbase because it was this hub. So many of these legitimate projects in the space uh, came from alumni of Coinbase and I felt like that would be a good place to get exposure, to understand uh, better, and to network and learn about different projects. So I very, very um, enthusiastically applied to Coinbase and got accepted eventually onto the crypto team uh, where I spent my time. And it was fun. And really, I, the main thing I loved was the people that I worked with my team is just incredible. I still uh, keep in touch with a lot of them, but we just a great group of kind, intelligent, uh, deep thinkers. And we would get into long discussions about different projects and uh, different concepts. I remember a multi-hour conversation with a friend about what is Byzantine fault tolerance and does it actually work? Um, so I really enjoyed that, but I, I didn't feel very satisfied with my work. And um, when I got 
kind of a little bit of foot footing to make my first PR in Bitcoin Core and um, start observing the project and trying to learn about it. That was when I felt this intense period of energy. And I did it like, I was doing it nights and weekends after working all day. And usually I try like, I try to kind of limit my computer time. It's not just that I like rationally limit it. I just run out of steam and can't yeah. stare at a computer anymore. Sure. But during those few months, like, oh my God, I was like, wow, I'm up at 10 p.m. and I've like been working all day and I'm still nerding out. Like, what is going on? This is weird. <laughs> and then followed by a very stressful period where I got very burnt out. But right. um, <laughs> that was kind of... And then I got accepted into the Chain Code Residency, which was an incredible experience. And it was such a, like, excitement and... Um, luxury to work on Bitcoin all day and meet people who were really experienced and had done all these impactful projects or research, et cetera, as well as my cohort of residents that were also trying to onboard. Because I think something very challenging about the space is that when you first join, it's easy, like the people you see are the most influential ones. And so it can feel like, oh, I don't know enough, I'm not there. Um, but there is a, a large group of people who are also learning at whatever stage you are. So yeah. to get to connect with some of those was like really awesome. Yeah. Um, I got a lot again. But so just to bring it back to the, the Coinbase part, and this is not an attempt to like do a gotcha on Coinbase or anything. But, you know, given the, the, a lot of the people that are in the Bitcoin space, um, there, there's a cons I don't I don't want to generalize but i have noticed an ethos that um a lot of people hold and there's a lot of overlap between those if they're not exactly the same all the time and um i'm wondering at coinbase um where presumably you know the listing of more and more coins uh, from a business perspective there's more trading there's more fees that's how money is made um what was the the and i'm sure some people wound up there because of the ethos that they had around Bitcoin initially, uh, what was the kind of ethos around just having such a, a big pool of all this stuff together and just basically, you know, selling all, all the time? Like, is that part of the reason why you decided to find greener pastures? It just wasn't, you weren't the meaning that we were referring to earlier, what you weren't really finding it there. Yeah, I would say that like Coinbase is uh, very keen on, listing as many assets and um, that didn't feel as fulfilling to me. I'm also like, as we can already see, like a very deep diver. Um, and so it just, it wasn't as great of a fit, but right. um, I just, like I said, like the energy thing, right? Uh, yeah. It, it was in contrast. I, I also, like I wasn't performing very well. Um, which was in contrast to the focus and dedication I was able to give to Bitcoin Core. Right. So. And yeah. so what was your Bitcoin moment? Uh, you know, it, like if while you're working at Coinbase and I don't know if there was a moment where you kind of realized that it was more about Bitcoin and not about everything else that was going on in the space or even what your current feelings on, on that are. But what was the moment where you're like, I'm not being productive here. The energy's not right at Coinbase. 
uh, but I want to dive into Bitcoin. Like, was there a moment that it clicked for you or that you made that decision consciously? Hmm. I don't think it was as much a moment as it was a growing feeling over time um, in terms of where I want to spend my energy. Um, even in terms of other projects versus Bitcoin, um, uh, I'm pretty generous with my support of other projects. I think there's a lot of valid projects that are honestly trying to pursue uh, big questions. I think they're on a very different kind of scale and timeline and um, problem space than Bitcoin. And so if that's misunderstood, that I think that should be very clear. Um, but otherwise, I'm like, yeah, go for it. That's great. Like, we need to explore in a very experimental way alternatives because uh, there's some huge flaws with the current, like, models that we have in many right. ways. But I'm exclusive with my attention because there's so much, even in Bitcoin, uh, even in Bitcoin Core, like, there are so many things that I don't know anything about or maybe know the first thing about um, and it's just absolutely impossible to keep up with everything so I don't try and wherever I am able to say no thank you um, I try to like be very happy about that so right. and I just yeah and the, the point where you, you dove in and you kind of realize, oh, this is what I want to be involved in. And that's, con you know, learning about and contributing to, to core. Um, and you said you'd come home at nights and, and you just have this kind of endless energy, but then you burned yourself out a bit. What happened there and how did you kind of regroup to uh, orient yourself in a way to contribute perhaps in a more, um, uh, what's the word? Sustainable. I'm for? Sustainable. Way. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that was the, um, I don't know, privilege of circumstance, like working two jobs that are the same kind of job in the sense of standing in front of a computer screen using your brain. Um, I think working two jobs in general sounds really, really tough. Uh, but in particular, I think that was just kind of a, a stressful experience for my body. Mm -hmm. And um, I couldn't sustain it for too long, but it was like very thrilling and exciting when it was happening. Uh, so mainly, I think it was like the month of April or May or something where I, I just felt uh, very, very like stressed and constantly on. And I remember going away to a backpacking trip and my energy calming down and then as i returned to reality i was like i want to do this and i gotta do that and oh my gosh and that juxtaposition really holding a mirror up and saying like okay what you're doing right now is not sustainable mm. but then getting accepted into the chain code residency and having that shift where i got to just spend all day working on bitcoin and and there um that was the first time that I really just didn't because previously I was trying to, I was trying to be balanced. Balance is such an important thing to me, but it came with this like hyper optimization mindset where it was like, okay, well, if I really need to socialize right now, I will socialize, but this should be, you, you know, 1.5 hours to socialize. And this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> also the socialization should have 
like maximum satisfaction. How do I <laughs> maximize the social satisfaction? You know, like right. it's so ridiculous in hindsight. Um, that was my attempt at balance. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so over, over the summer, I could like unwind a little and over the weekend just be like, you know, even if I co-work on Bitcoin, I'm not gonna. And then I, I might a little bit, <laughs> but, but it was very different than the like, if I'm not working, I have to be getting like returns all the time. Um, and I do think that also helped me actually perform well. <laughs> yeah. It's funny what happens when you kind of take a little bit of the pressure off your expectations and just do things that feel like that, that come naturally. Like, like we've been saying this conversation where the energy flows. And I know this is a horrible example to use, but I'm going to use it because it's true. But um, I like to be active running, hiking, swimming, boxing, whatever. And uh, occasionally, and I don't, I'm not very hungover, I'm not hungover very much these days at all, but you know, on the off uh, occasion when I'm hungover, I'll pop up and I'll want to go for a run just to shake out the cobwebs and clear my head. But I'll feel so like low energy and just gross that uh, I won't expect like a good run. And just getting out the door is like my goal. And I end up having like a really strong run usually because like I'm not, I'm not like constantly like um, analyzing myself, like, am I, should I be going faster? Could I be going harder? Like, how do my lungs feel? I'm just kind of out there, like feeling it out and it ends up being a great run. So I know it's not exactly the same thing, but I, um, I appreciate what you mean. And I feel like not to say anything bad about um, Tim Ferriss, but I remember back in the day uh, where, you know, Tim was so kind of like some methodical like that. And I almost put a productivity like shame on myself if I didn't have like my life constructed in these neat compartments where I was getting my social, my, you know, my uh, physical fitness, my diet, my productivity, all like dialed into the perfect mix. And then, you know, as, as you said, when you, first of all, when you step out of that, that can be very helpful. Um, and for me, when I would step out of like busy city life and go to a place like Thailand and come back, I'd realize how kind of far I'd gone in the almost neurotic sort of um, way of living day to day. And you only realize that if you step out of your situation sometimes. Um, and then, you know, becoming more comfortable with just pursuing things um, again, as, as we, this theme we keep coming back to, but pursuing things that just flow more naturally, you know, don't require so much like, like willpower and discipline from your mind, but that you can actually just kind of plug in and engage and unplug and disengage in, in, a, in a manner that comes much more uh, naturally to you. Totally. I, I mean, I certainly agree. This is something I think about a lot. And for me, um, meditation has been really helpful in this regards because I think my practice of meditating is pretty much the practice of being kind to myself. <laughs> I don't, I don't very much try to clear my mind. That's not really a goal uh, that I'm seeking. Um, but I'm just trying to like be gentle and let the time pass nicely. <laughs> so, and it's been a very powerful thing to me because it also relates uh, a lot to programming because if you can have this confidence that, okay, you know, I have a challenge at hand and if I spend long enough 
I have the ability to figure it out. It's a question of if I want to spend that time, if I want to spend that energy, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And with that mindset, you can write good code. You can make it work. Uh, but the moment that that inner voice comes on, I'm like, you're not writing code fast enough. This code's going to suck. Are you sure you can do it, et cetera? Um, the code comes out terrible, either broken or, you know, bugged or deceiving. Maybe it doesn't work at all. Yeah. So it, I, I genuinely think that having that positive mindset allows uh, productivity to occur and creating space allows for creativity and you can surprise yourself with what shows up. <laughs> totally. I think that's really well put. And I can't relate to writing code, but I can relate to writing words, which I sometimes try to do. And I think a similar principle applies. Like if you just want to be done or if it's taking too much time, or if you get mad at yourself from being hooked, like blocked or writer's block or it not flowing, then you just wind up not enjoying the process and probably not uh, having some output or having an output that's, you know, uh, that you want versus, you know, the, the alternative approach, which is you just, you know, it's in you, you know, it can come out. You've just got to find the, the rhythm and the tempo and give yourself the time to do it and not get wrapped up and excited about um, it not coming as smoothly or as easily as you might want. Totally. Um, what, just so for reference, the chain code, uh, what, what year are we in, in this part of the story? 2019, so last okay. summer. So yeah, this is this I, is all pretty recent. Yeah, I'm pretty recent. <laughs> <laughs> how, I, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I'm 28. 28. Okay. I meant to Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> okay. Um, so, what one of the questions um, when you're describing your journey here, and we'll get back to it in a moment, but. Do you think there's an, a big intimidation factor for other people, perhaps in similar circumstances to you, or similar backgrounds in terms of your, your technical training, um, that don't get involved uh, with Bitcoin Core because they're intimidated? Or what is the general aura around um, the kind of entry, quote unquote, into this space or you know, avoiding it or doing something else? Um, I would say absolutely. I would say the culture around Bitcoin, like the grander, not just Bitcoin core, but like the grander thing has a ton of like intimidation and some of the narratives that are very like uh, ubiquitous are, uh, you know, like do your own research. I understand the intent behind that. And I do think learning is really important, mm -hmm. but sometimes that can be um, very off-putting to someone who doesn't know why <laughs> um, or some of some of just the tone can be very intimidating. And I really see this a lot with my family members um, where sometimes people, some of them will be able to come and be curious and say, Hey, I have a question, but a lot of people are like, Oh no, 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 I can't understand. It's too complex and, mm -hmm. and just put up this shield and to, to which I, I work to try to take that down because it's like, you don't need to know um, exactly what proof of work is, but you could still know what Bitcoin is or what it could be to you. And because at the end of the day, like, like we use the internet and it, I think the internet's a great metaphor for 
I have no idea. There's like seven layers of protocols. I can never remember what they are. I, I have some ideas of parts of the internet, but oh my God, it's like, like those encyclopedia sets you can have. <laughs> oh, I think there's, these are like some of them here. It's just, it can fill shelves. I, I haven't read those, but um, it, it's like, there's just so much information that there's no point in learning it all unless it's useful to you. And I think similarly about Bitcoin where um, in the in the end game where this is truly a global inclusive money, then everyone should know a little bit and they should have the ability to level up their knowledge if they're curious. Um, and there are some fundamental like truths that I hope that uh, proliferate, but such as I think, hmm. Well, that's a good question. Sorry to interrupt, but I just couldn't resist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say one of the biggest things I would want is for people to understand what private keys are. Like, if you're buying Bitcoin on an exchange, I'm I'm not in the camp of that is terrible. How dare you? Um, but what does that mean? Like, if if you buy Bitcoin. It would be nice if anyone who did that understood just like the high level of you're putting your trust in this entity and you have the ability to put keep that trust yourself. And that is in the form of private key mm -hmm. because it's it's the keys to your house. If you like you can give out your address, but if you don't have the keys to your house or I guess mailbox, then you can't get the mail or something. Um, so really understanding who, because money, money is nothing but a guarantee or a perceived guarantee. It, it is a idea that in the future, I'll be able to use this and that will pay my rent, my food or whatever, um, my vacation, et cetera. And so having that understanding of if I buy Bitcoin, it's not just that the price might go up, but it's that I'm now shifting who's giving me that guarantee or what that guarantee is. I think that'd be really cool for that to just be like hand in hand, well uh, Bitcoin different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that. And, and I totally agree with you. I'm wondering, um, and this might be too hard of a question, so I'll accept the, a pass answer from this <laughs> one. But uh, I imagine in your life, uh, because you're relatively unique in that one, I mean, it's unique to be a Bitcoin core developer at all. Uh, and to be uh, a woman is even more unique. And I suspect that, you know, a lot of people ask you, like, well, what do you do, first of all? And then if you can clear that hurdle, then I guess the next one is, well, what is Bitcoin? And I was just wondering if you had a succinct like elevator pitch that you usually use to, 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 to tell people when you're out to dinner or when you're, you know, when you meet somebody, uh, I'm sure you get asked a lot. I'm just wondering what you might say to that question. Um, yeah, well, I mean, at this point, my family and friends know like quite a bit about what Bitcoin is. And I'm not meeting a ton of strangers because of this whole like <laughs> pandemic lockdown thing. <laughs> but I would say I, the best would be to like, if I can quickly gauge what is their interest and what's the angle of that and to speak to that. But 
in this hypothetical where I have like a sentence to just like explain Bitcoin, I would say it's a money that is global in nature and inclusive by design where no entity should be able to prevent another entity from interacting. Nice. Um, okay, so we're at chain code. Uh, back to the, 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 the timeline for a sec. And you've been sponsored to uh, learn about uh, and work on Bitcoin Core, right? Yeah, so Chaincode has these residency programs that they throw to onboard new contributors to Bitcoin Lightning uh, related projects. Mm -hmm. And last year they had their biggest program ever and it was three months. So I got accepted into that program and that's I was in New York for the summer and uh, able to focus on Bitcoin. Amazing. And um, it you've submitted. Was. It really, really <laughs> was. <laughs> what was the best part about it? Like, tell me some of the highlights, why you enjoyed it so much. So in addition to what I said before about the exposure, the ability to work all day, um, just so much support and mentorship. I They had organized these like, like for the employees of Chain Code, who are mostly um, Bitcoin Core contributors, but also some other projects, they would host office hours. So there was, I could go consult with like, I'm trying to figure out this very explicit problem. Here are the things I've tried. And then additionally, they matched each of the resis up with uh, a mentor who like people in the community who had opted in, uh, which is how I met my, my main mentor, AJ Towns, who is awesome and has taught me so much. And then in addition to that, like Jonas and John, who are the ones um, organizing the residency, were both like super supportive in whatever needs and um, whether it's technical, whether it's like more managerial, whether it's how do I continue working on Bitcoin after this residency? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I just I just felt so supported in so many ways, even then then like emotionally, uh, I met Carla who works on uh, Lightning, and she works on L and D at Lightning Labs, and she's like like my we we call each other BBBs, my best Bitcoin bud, um, <laughs> and just having someone who so well relates to your experience of being like so excited and so terrified and anxious and hype at the, all at the same time and could just talk to you. So just in so many ways, I felt really supported. Man, that's so awesome to hear. Um, to, to one of those points, how does one, like you said, like how do I keep doing this after this is over? Um, I do want to spend a bit of this, a uh, bit of our conversation on the work you've done and how the work goes down for a Bitcoin core developer. But maybe before that, you know, you've got all this excitement, you're loving the community, the interaction, the support you're getting, um, and you want to keep doing it. But of course, we all have to put a roof over our head and figure out how to get by. Um, what was the process of, of doing that? Like, how did you uh, find a way to support yourself or get somebody to support you and continue doing this work? Yeah. Um, it, yeah, in all honesty, like, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> I've had a lot of people who are in a space like help me and um, see that I was excited and doing work and, you know, put me in contact with uh, different options for sponsorship. So after, after the chain code residency, I got um, 
I was a full-time employee at Zappo. Oh, cool. But, but I was like working on Bitcoin core. Um, and so I had the freedom to like choose what I worked on. So is there their own internal sponsorship program thing? Yeah. 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 So they sponsored me. Um, and so I think, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how uh, they decided to do that. I think like John and Jonas played a part my, my mentor, AJ was working at Zappo at the time. Um, so I'm sure he was part of it. I think Elizabeth Stark, I had met with her and she, uh, was also really trying to help me get funded, which I like deeply appreciate. Um, so I feel like I've had a lot of luck, a lot of allies, uh, trying to sort it out. But I think one thing that I would like to emphasize is it's very different than a normal job because normally you land the job and then you learn the thing, right? You, you learn and, and you land the job by saying, Hey, I have the potential to learn this thing. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people try to apply that same idea to Bitcoin core where they say, I'm very interested. Um, you know, can I like, but how do I get the funding to like work on it or something? And actually there are like, especially we've been seeing a lot of sponsorships uh, this summer and there are entities who are keen on sponsoring and encouraging Bitcoin development. Um, and the people who are able, I, I recognize it requires uh, uh, that privilege of like having free time, having that, but the people who ha are able and put in the effort and like kind of show up on the project and start reviewing, participating in PR review club, uh, making PRs, kind of participating, um, I see a lot of them get sponsored and are able to figure out the financial aspect. But I think part of what causes this is the sponsorships and like grants and et cetera are very uh, open-ended. Like the, nobody has told me, all right, this is what you're going to work on in Bitcoin they say, hey, we want to support you. Here you go. We trust you to make the best choice of what is like worth your energy and uh, attention. And so to them, they also need some evidence that I will, I will do good with that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that is often missed. Um, and I can understand why, because it's a very different mental model than the, the norm in our society. Yeah. What's, is there any, um, and what's the difference, I guess, contrasted to a normal job? Like what's the pressure like knowing that, you know, you're there, I guess it's somewhat of a similar dynamic. You're there by the good graces of your employer or who's sponsoring you, but for whatever reason, it seems different um, that you're contributing to this uh, <laughs> open source project that doesn't directly uh, benefit the the person who's sponsoring you. Like, do you feel a strong pressure to like perform or contribute or have PRs and stuff like that? Or like, have you found a, a Zen around it or have they given you the comfort of like, or have they put a lot of pressure on you? Not, none at all. Like what's the pressure dynamic for you in terms of your output and, and you know, how you want to earn, I guess, the support that you're getting. Yeah. Well, I am deeply grateful because everyone who's financially supported me has also just been like very encouraging and supportive. I've never felt like 
like a pressure to perform um, from from them. That said, I have a strong, strong pressure on myself to perform. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Which is what we were going back to earlier. And in some ways can be like deeply challenging because um, it's kind of existential when nobody is, nobody's telling you you're doing good or bad. And so it's just up to you to figure out, are, am I doing the best I can? It's up, <laughs> That's to that a big voice. Question. it's up to that voice in your head, which can be a difficult one to interpret sometimes, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so I, I do, I think that is a challenge um, as well as a, like a freedom that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've ex- I experienced both sides of it where I am very grateful that I get to decide what is my best effort. And it's no longer like, but in chair <laughs> Monday through Friday, um, or, or like meet this OKR or, or certain other measures. And I mean, it's also very different, like working at product based companies versus working on a project where our product is like good code. And by which I mean, it has to be robust. It has to, um, be legible so that it can continue to be robust. It has to be, uh, like resource mi- minimization. Like there's all these very technical things that are highly, highly valued. Whereas a lot of times at product companies, there's always the tension between engineering and product engineering being like, no, 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 we need to take longer or it's all going to break in like one year or whatever. Um, and product being like, but I need it done yesterday. <laughs> right. So. That's, a, that's a really interesting dynamic that I hadn't really considered before, but you know, with, and I'll get you to correct me if I'm wrong here, but with Bitcoin, I get the sense like, Again, and this is primarily for the for people that are working on the code base, but you know, also for anyone peripherally in in the quote unquote community doing whatever they do, writing, podcasting, whatever. Like, do you feel that your kind of highest aim, or do you recognize that you're creating like the foundation of something monumentally important, and therefore like that pulls the best out of you? And the approach, as you were saying, is not like a two month deadline. We don't want to launch this product. We don't want to do this and that, but like, it's literally requiring um, just, we want the best, you know, we want the best work that we can get somewhat irrespective of timelines, other considerations, you know, uh, revenue, all that kind of stuff. Is that how your relationship to the work uh, you do with Bitcoin is, or am I off base there? Yeah, I would say Bitcoin core has a huge value on, um, integrity of the project and robustness and maintaining that robustness over time. And that is, I mean, that's why it's like a change averse project. Like right. we'd rather not adopt a feature than create room for a bug. And then it's also very different because it's not sufficient to say something works on the network right now because we need it to work in on the network in all sorts of conditions that we can't even predict. (laughs) And so all of that edge case thinking, which in a normal product company, it's like, Oh, we'll just fix it later. um, Isn't available to us in Bitcoin and it's not like in line with the ethos. And so really does bring about a different approach of go slow, go steady, invest in the long term, and do good work, not just fast work. Yeah. What's been some of the biggest challenges that you've encountered while like interacting in such a way with the work that you do? Like 
what's been the hardest part about all this? Um, I would, I would say like kind of this thing that we're talking about of self pressure and, uh, my standards for myself are so high that they're a little bit impossible to meet. So how do I like release that in order to, um, go in the direction of positive and make good contributions versus, uh, let that become a reason for negative energy. Um, and do you do specific things to foster that? <laughs> I think probably my meditation practice is the most helpful for that. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, but it's it's a constant it's a constant like give and take. Like last week, I uh, as I said, I moved, and I had these hopes of like working on Bitcoin part time. I knew I'd be busy, but there were all these like universe glitches that got in the way, and I was just like full time on the move all week. And everyone I talked to was like so supportive and like, hey, just like take the time, you know, move, and Bitcoin will be here later. Um, but I felt this intense FOMO. <laughs> like, like, check not, like, not working on it? Yeah, because like, it's moving on without me. You know? I don't want to keep up. <laughs> I have all these reviews I want to, or these PRs I want to review. Like, people are having these interesting conversations that I need to like, dig into and understand. Like, it's, it's just, it's, on one hand, it's like, really comical. And I appreciate that I feel this way about my job. But in all honesty, like, I wasn't that zen. I just felt FOMO. Like I just, I wanted to be part of the party. Like, <laughs> Well, that's a much better form of FOMO than most of us probably experience. So I think you're ahead of the game there. <laughs> but, but then like as earlier in the week, that was stronger. And as I like released that, um, and then this week has been like a highly productive week and that's really cool. And I don't know how much of it is taking a step away and getting some perspective or like, you know, just having that pent up energy, like <laughs> exploding yeah. or, or what. So, but it's, it's a constant, um, I think people who are self-employed, this is common, uh, where I don't keep normal hours or I don't have company defined goals that I'm trying to achieve. So mm. I have to constantly be assessing my priorities. My priorities are well-being in order for it to be sustainable as well as achieving things as well as like having um, it be thoughtful reviews or um, robust code, et cetera. Man, it's gotta be so fulfilling and exciting to like engage on such a, in, in such a fundamental way on something that you uh, believe so strongly in like I get the excitement right of you like the the week you were moving and you couldn't really you know contribute <laughs> in the way you wanted to like I get the excitement of wanting to get back to that because how could you not like if you if you're in that position I mean god I get it um, but with these with these sponsorships one question I want to ask is are they time bound like is there an end to them are they open-ended like how does that work um, the current agreements I have are both for a year okay. uh, but it's, I think, hopefully, uh, will be like it will be reevaluated in a year. But yeah. I hope that we'll be able to continue it. I think both 
OKCoin and BitMEX are very keen on uh, encouraging development in the longer term. And so that's part of uh, what makes it a good fit. Nice. Um, do you have another 10, 15? I got yeah. one or two more questions for you. So sure. um, one of them is, I'm sure many of us listening to this, we attempt to explain Bitcoin to uh, people in our lives. You know, and the, the subject probably comes up a lot. We're probably very adamant about uh, introducing it to uh, to people in our lives. And one of the, you know, we do the whole explainer shtick. And one of the most common objections that I, at least I've heard is, from people is, well, yeah, but who controls the code? And, and how does that work? Couldn't they make a change to the network that would steal my money or break it or whatever? Um, I'd love to hear about your specific process of contribution, like your PRs and getting merged and, and how that's worked and what, what it's resulted in for you um, and anything else about that process you'd like to share. But also, can you illuminate for uh, those listening how that works um, and what the security model, I guess you'd call it, around the, the core developers actually is? Yeah. Um, so the most tangible way people submit code patches to change the code and those are PRs. And then sometimes they, they get reviewed by the community, um, via a model of like acts and so, NACs. So just, or, just like, to interrupt some... for, for one second. So for people that like a PR is a pull request, <laughs> right? And so you, yeah. you do something and then you can, can like take us from, Let's forget the gotcha. first part of the question. Take us from how, like the very basic, how co um, code changes are made to Bitcoin Core and the, the kind of environment around that. Yeah, okay, so I'll do a broad strokes first. Yep. Um, individuals submit changes of code and those changes get reviewed by many people in the community. And then the maintainers are uh, select like specific group of people who have the ability to merge that into the main project. And then every six months, approximately, the changes get bundled up and wrapped into a release. And that's when you see a new version of Bitcoin Core has been released. Mm -hmm. And then the people who are running a node decide whether or not they take those changes. And so that's what change, like, so if, um, Okay, so that's the essential idea of how changes go from proposal to being adopted. Yep. So the first question you're saying is like, um, who enforces that it doesn't make sense, right? Like, uh, or that it does make sense or doesn't. Um, and a very extreme simple example of that is the supply cap is in the code. Theoretically, that could be changed. So. There's several layers of enforcement. Um, the first is the the code should be needs to be accepted into the main branch, and so maintainers are the ones who hold the ability to do that. But they are incredible, <laughs> and really, what they're trying to do is look at the community consensus, and so. They look at how people have reviewed it, are there problems, etc. And then also there's a really strong 
community of people every step of the way in Bitcoin. And there's a lot of like communication that happens. Mm -hmm. Like there's a bot on Twitter that talks about merges. And sometimes you'll see people who aren't necessarily core contributors, like ask questions or discuss, um, discuss that. So there's kind of this community level um, monitoring and enforcement as mm -hmm. well. And I think, I mean, as I said, I haven't been in Bitcoin that long. I know there was a lot of drama in the past. I haven't like figured it all out, but if there, if there are like maintainers who are making uh, questionable decisions, like there is the ability to, to question that revert changes um, to like change who has that permission. Um, but the, I mean, the maintainers do a really incredible job of being like, I don't know, they'll call themselves like the humble servants or, or something like that, you know, or they don't call themselves that. Uh, I don't know. Okay. We might call them that. Yeah, we, we, that. <laughs> but they really are like, like serving the community intent and thinking about that very critically and making sure questions get answers and um, that things that are controversial don't get merged until yeah. those are uh, pointed out. So two, two questions uh, that I often get asked about maintainers is one, uh, you know, who, who chooses who gets the right to be one, basically, and two, yeah. what would happen if they snuck something in, right? And, and I think you partially addressed number two in that, like, if there's a release, there's lots of review, people can decide to update or not. And so it's very likely that something would be caught if uh, something was slipped in there's, at the last there's so many more steps yeah like people are seeing what gets merged and then when it gets wrapped there's people who um who run the release candidates and and then and 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 then only is it released for like the public um and so there's all of these people being involved and then once it's released for the public users can decide whether or not to upgrade so there's so many steps along the way mm -hmm. um and i'm not a hundred percent sure how maintainers get chosen. I don't think there have been any new ones in my time. Um, I think that people who have really shown their dedication to the project and their ability to like have impact kind mm -hmm. of make their way into that role. And then via part two of like what would happen um, if like a maintainer was questionable. Yeah, I think to, to answer that, I'd probably say, like, look at the history, because I think some stuff like that has happened. Uh, you might know more about that than me. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel, <laughs> I feel pretty confident that we would figure it out. And there's just so many steps along the way that there's a lot of power. And that's why I think it's really important if you're um, at the level and, like, interested in Bitcoin or hold a lot of it of running your own node because that's how you have a vote of what makes sense and that's how you're truly participating in the system. And so I think people who are quite invested um, either financially or even like like intellectually, uh, it's it's an important step of the process. Yeah. Um I know you're more on the technology side of this big phenomenon that we're all dancing around. Um, but how do you see this technology playing out over the next, let's say 10 years time, you know, like what, 
you know, what level of adoption, what, what kind of, I don't know, give me, give me your five to 10 year view on, on Bitcoin from your perspective, obviously. Oh, I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I feel pretty confident that in five to 10 years, Bitcoin's not going to die. Like if it does die, it's going to take a lot longer. Um, but that's about it. <laughs> it's not gonna hey that's good it's not gonna die because if it doesn't die it's probably gonna do a lot of cool stuff you know yeah i mean what i'd like to see is having it be more accessible because what is important to me about bitcoin is you know in that one line pitch of it it's it's global by design that's just true um no unlike any other currency uh, other than like gold, uh, everything, most of the other currencies we have are nation state backed. Yeah. And so Bitcoin's the only one I know of that's viable as a digital global currency. And that's just true. Mm -hmm. But the other part about it being inclusive or accessible is a huge question mark. Um, I think about that on a very technical level and when I'm making, um, when I'm in the code, in terms of, okay, let's not make like data structures too big because that would add up. And then, you know, if you have to invest in like, like $5 billion of hardware in order to run a node, that would not be, um, that would not fit with my idea of a successful Bitcoin. So I look at that accessibility and attacks possible, et cetera, in a technical way. But I think there's a whole, whole ecosystem as we know in order to make that happen um you have to be able to purchase bitcoin and there needs to be wallets and exchanges and um those need to be local to different places it can't just only be in certain places in the world and you need to for my idea of bitcoin to succeed People need to understand some of the fundamentals. So there should be um, educational material that's fun and accessible and desirable. Um, it's not just like, oh, but you could just go read the source code. <laughs> that's, that's insufficient. <laughs> <laughs> and like so many things along the way to really have it be truly global, truly inclusive truly accessible. So I'd like to see us moving towards that direction. And I think we are. And it's hard to imagine that changing in the next five to 10 years. Uh, who knows? Sure. <laughs> Crazy times. Um, do you think, you know, do you ever think or have has this happened to you already? Um, like, do you think uh, you'll be poached to a for profit uh, business in the space in the future? Is that a desire of yours? Or are you uh, pretty firm on your desire to keep uh, increasing your ability to uh, and continuing to contribute to Core. I love working on Bitcoin Core so much. And <laughs> in so many ways, I feel like I'm just getting started. Like, I, I have so much more to learn. And there are so many complexities and nuances that I think it will keep me very content and entertained for a very long time. 
Nice. And we actually, I don't think we've really talked about the like work that you've actually done or, you know, things that have been implemented. So can we touch on that for a sec before we go? Sure. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, absolutely. So mainly I spend a lot of time just trying to understand the code and why things are the way they are or what could be changed in the peer-to-peer -peer network. But the two main projects that I've been working on in my time in Bitcoin, one is about transaction rebroadcasting, which is uh, trying to improve the privacy around transaction um, communication, uh, or just like not reveal that this is my transaction. So make that more private. And then the other one that I've been working on, I had part one, uh, but a, a big PR emerged earlier this week, which is really exciting. Um, thanks. Uh, that's in a way to try to simplify our peer-to-peer -peer code and increase test coverage. So increasing the robustness of the system. Uh, so that's, those are the main like code contributions I've done, but I... Can you tell me a little bit about how the first one works? Sure. So... <laughs> Easy peasy. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if I form a transaction, say I'm a node, and um, or or I'm a user, I form a transaction, I submit it to the node, and the node sends it out to the network. And that's important because if it doesn't get sent to the network, then it will never be able to be mined because it needs to make it to the miner in order to get picked up into a block. So that's called broadcasting the transaction. That's the initial time you do it. But say that you submitted it and then you see blocks come and your transaction's not in them and more blocks come and your transaction's still not in them. You're like, okay, something weird might've happened. Let me try submitting it again. That's rebroadcasting when you do it a second, third, et cetera time. Um, and that's important because sometimes you could just have failures. Like maybe your Wi-Fi uh, was actually off and you didn't realize or uh, other circumstances could occur. So the existing way that we have in um, Bitcoin Core is pretty eager to rebroadcast and is also a privacy leak because you only ever rebroadcast your own nodes, or sorry, your own transactions. Um, and so we have a lot of these obfuscation techniques around the initial broadcast to, so that it's hard for a third party to identify that you were the first one to announce this transaction. But then when it comes to rebroadcasting, there's this huge privacy leak because if a surveilling entity sees that, oh, this is the second time you've announced it, then it can know with certainty that you were the origin of that transaction. So I'm trying to make that better. <laughs> <laughs> right and how do, should i ask how you make that better or is it is it yeah. too complicated no i mean part of it is don't only announce your own announce other people's too you know mm. just like then you can't tell um so part one that i got merged already was reducing the frequency right. with which you'll re-announce and so in current network conditions, I think that it's not super likely that you're going to re-announce 
since I, because before it was very eager. It was like, there was a block. My transaction wasn't in it. Here you go. <laughs> Although there was some complexity and so the uh, surveyor would have to be reasonably advanced. But so the first part was reduce the frequency. And the second part is reduce the like, the strength of a guarantee for the surveyor. And, and to do that, just like, here's somebody else's, here's somebody else's, Throw a Oops, bunch there's mine. Stuff at them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> muddy, muddy the waters as it were. Yeah. But designing it has to be done with care because if I did that all the time, it would just be like practically spam. So how do you come up with the right heuristics that ensure the transaction does have a good chance of being seen on the network, but also is not detracting from like, oh, suddenly you need a ton of bandwidth to run a Bitcoin node. Right. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, and it's clear you love it too. Uh, <laughs> This has been super fun, Amidi. Is there any uh, other, you know, closing thoughts or anything you wanted to discuss before or direct people to your work, um, social media, anything like that before we sign off? Um, I mean, you can find me on Twitter and I definitely, um, if anyone's ever interested in contributing to Bitcoin Core, then please reach out. I love helping people find their footing. Um, it's a lot of hard work, but it's totally possible. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think that's all. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> well, I think I, I can pretty confidently say uh, thank you from myself and everyone listening for the work that you do uh, so that we can all share in this uh, amazing uh, phenomenon that is Bitcoin together and uh, long may it uh, continue. So, uh, you know, thank you for that. And uh, I look forward to maybe extending this conversation someday when uh, the world is a little more normal and we can uh, get together and meet space and, you know, share a drink and, and continue discussion. <laughs> yeah, it's been a really fun conversation. Thank you. All right. Take care.